Welcome to Cover Stories with Chess Life, the U.S. Chess Federation's podcast that goes behind the scenes and more in-depth about each month's Chess Life magazine cover story. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. Chess podcasts, which includes One Move at a Time on the second Tuesday of each month, where Dan Lucas talks to people who are advancing our mission statement, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, hosted by our women's program director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our assistant director of national events, Pete Cargianis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org, or you can subscribe via iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Today's guest on Cover Stories with Chess Life is me, John Hartman. Obviously, there's a bit of a problem in trying to host a podcast and interview yourself. So I started to think about the people in my life who I could ask to pinch hit and step in and ask me some questions. Um, I asked my wife, but she was not keen on the idea. And then I thought, who else could I ask but my friend and mentor? John Watson. Um, John and I spoke a little bit beforehand about some of the things we might discuss, including my contributions to the May issue of Chess Life, uh, some of the work I've done before becoming editor of Chess Life, writing for Chess Life Online, doing the review column for Chess Life, um, some of the things we've been doing with the Chess Journalists of America, how I used to organize tournaments here in Nebraska. Um, and some of my work as a very high-level computer ninja for some of the world's top chess players, believe it or not. Um, there's a lot more to talk about, and I'm sure John will ask me some very good questions. Um, but speaking from Omaha, Nebraska, where John Watson himself grew up, I bring you the John and John Show. John Watson, I'm ready for your questions. Uh, hi. Okay, John. Uh, let me start out with, this is the cover story podcast. So let me just ask you about the cover, the May cover story, which you wrote uh, in the, which is about the 2022 spring classic in uh, St. Louis. And it's entitled, The Future is Now. So why do you call it that? And what's it about? Well, I, there were a lot of ways we could have gone with that story. Um, but for me, and I'm sure we're going to talk about my, my trip to Crossville uh, to do some work triaging the U.S. Chess Library. Um, but this was the first trip that I had taken really since the pandemic began that I, that, that that I took for pleasure. Um, I had gone to Crossville once previously to do some preliminary work on the library. But going to Crossville and then stopping off in St. Louis on the way home to see the Spring Classic, that felt important to me. It felt, I don't know if momentous is the word because, you know, since then, um, despite being triple vaccinated, I've gotten COVID. <laughs> um, and it seems like everybody I know is getting sick, but it still felt at the time, like the world was opening up and there was this window where the future was here, Wh whatever that future looked like it was here. Um, and that was true for me personally. And it was also true looking at the chess. I mean, if, if you look at those two tournaments, 
the future of American chess was on display there. And, and the winners of the two events, uh, Sam Sevian winning, winning the A group and Abhi Mishra winning the B group, that's you're, – you're looking at the future of American chess with, with those two and, and some of the other players who were playing in the event like, like Hans Neiman and Christopher Yu. So when I was trying to come up with a title for it, I, that's what kept ringing in my head. The future, the future is here. The future is now. And uh, it's true in terms of the chess that was being played, but, but personally, um, it also felt like, like something had changed. Like, like finally, we could think about what's next. Right, because it was the first uh, of that kind of event in really a couple of years, right? For Yeah, so you know, that was what was interesting to me. When I went to St. Louis um, and I, I spoke to the staff, they were all really excited to have the players back. And if you haven't been to the St. Louis Chess Club in one of these big events, um, you know, the, the U.S. Championship certainly, but, but any of these these, you know, quarterly classics where they, they get a lot of players who, who they might know or who have been there before. Um, it's, 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 it's like getting the old gang back together. (laughs) And, and that's really what it felt like, you know, watching people like Alex Lenderman, who, you know, who's, who's been playing in St. Louis for years now, who, who went to school in St. Louis, watching him walk up and, and, you know, as I said, I saw him sitting, uh, in the lobby at the hotel or, you know, seeing Darius Swears have to go through security to go upstairs. Um, it, it just, it felt like chess was back. And, and the staff was really, they were very clear on this, that they, they really love these quarterly tournaments, um, partially because it's some of the same faces. It's some of the people they've gotten to know over the years, but it's also, it doesn't have the crowds that the, the big U.S. championships, like the Open Championship and the Women's Championship gets. So, you know, they get to see their friends, they get to see some high-level chess, but it's also, it's very calm and, and collegial. And, you know, afterwards, you, and I think we put some of the photos in the in the magazine, um, <laughs> the players are all downstairs analyzing with each other and visiting with each other. And and it's, it's it just, after the last two years, it, it felt really good to see that. Yeah, imagine, uh, live, people playing uh, chess and analyzing, doing post-mortems, when we've been spent a couple of years of people just doing no postmortems really because of most everything has been moved online. And, and uh, so that must've been pretty exciting and they must've had a lot of fun to actually be able to kind of communicate with their own uh, cohorts and uh, their own competitors. And, and so that must've been fun. That was, yeah, we, we got a number of quotes that we weren't able to use um, just because we didn't have page space and everyone we spoke to, um, you know, all the players, they were, they were so happy to be playing again. They were, they were, I mean, the conditions in St. Louis are always good. Um, you know, there's, uh, I, I did a, a Twitter takeover for one day for us chess. And, uh, I, I gave people a little sense of what it's like behind the scenes. You know, there's these very nice lunch spreads and you know, there's coffee and any beverage you can want. Um, you know, they, they take very good care of the players and, I think they appreciate that, but, but more than that, it's like you said, I mean, you know, just getting to do a postmortem with one of your peers and, and not, it it not be an online thing where, you know, you you play your games and then you're done. Um, You you get to sit and talk and and discuss and kibitz and it's, 
it's always been such an important part of chess, is, uh, and especially the national teams. And I mean, these are these are Americans, and so that's their really close people who they're going to be spending the next twenty years with, uh, playing each other and traveling together, and presumably eventually playing in Olympiads and other team events. So it, it's really it's, it's really important for them to know each other and to be in touch with each other and work together. Yeah, and and I think. Um, I think some of that is on display. You, you can see the the camaraderie, um, you know, you, even among the young players. I mean, you know, I, I, I um, spoke to uh, Abby and both and, and to Christopher Yu, and, and um, I mean, we're in good hands with those two. Those, those uh, I, I did want to say, you know, we we had a lot of guest annotations. So I so I wrote the cover story, but I only wrote about eleven hundred words of it, and the rest of it was annotations from the players themselves. Um, and I was shocked at how good Abby's notes were. Um, I mean, he's, he's what, like 12, 13 years old. The kid can write. And, and he's you know very clear annotator, um, gets to the point, doesn't burden uh, his readers with too many uh, deep uh, analyses. Um, it, it was really a pleasant surprise to see what a good job he did with that. So I, I hope the readers definitely take a look at those notes and, and, and play through them and appreciate them. Okay, yeah, let's real quick, uh, because I'd like to get on talking about your own life and your own chess career. Uh, but before that, there was one other story in the May issue that you also wrote about uh, the actor Jamie Foxx and his chess experiences in New Orleans with Jude Acers, yeah. <laughs> who was a celebrity in his own right. So who is Acers and how did this story develop? So um, if you've ever been to New Orleans or if you're planning on going and you're a chess fan, uh, get yourself down to the French market. Um, and, and right outside uh, a little praline shop, there's a man with a red beret who has been sitting there for years and years and years now playing all comers in chess for a small fee. That man is Judacers. And uh, he is a showman. He is, um, I mean, a very strong player, you know, easily, you know, 23, 2400 in his prime. Um, gave simul tours in the, in, I want to say in the sixties. Um, and, and, you know, a, a great, great promoter of chess. Um, but one day out of the blue and, and every now and again, I get these emails from Jude, uh, as, as a number of people do, uh, you know, with, with some story or some link or something. And, uh, it turns out that one day on his birthday, actually, Jamie Foxx showed up, jumped out of a van with some people, sat down to play and, uh, very quickly a crowd formed. And uh, as it turned out, there was a local photographer who was tipped off about it and went down and took some photos. And we were able to get those photos both in an online story um, and in the magazine. So yeah, it was, it was pretty neat to see, uh, to see Jude and, and, and to, to sort of feel his enthusiasm through his emails. And um, yeah, he, he was enthusiastic about Jamie Foxx's uh, potential Although I, I do wonder if that was maybe uh, helped by how well Jamie was tipping. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, if you ever get down there. And Orleans, Jamie Foxx is famous for his role uh, in, uh, as Ray Charles. As Ray Charles, who was also a chess player, um, which a lot of people didn't don't know. know. Yeah, he, he, okay. um, he was a very enthusiastic chess player, which, you know, um, being blind um, makes it a little harder. Uh, but I think he had, um, they, they do make special sets for seeing impaired players. And, and um, I, I think he had one of those and 
Um, yeah, apparently he loved the game. Uh, I, I think there are some stories about him in the U.S. Chess archives in the in the Chess Life archives too. I I should have dug those up, but I didn't. Um, I don't know. Maybe 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 in the future. Sure, that's terrific. Okay, tell me in general about um, Chess Life and Chess Life Online. As I say, it's incredible how much work it is to do both of these at the same time. So it's amazing how much other thing, how many other things you do in the chess world. Um, but just tell us about your general vision for these two publications. Are, are they are are these things that are going to change, or uh, are they sort of developing and evolving? Or are you pretty happy with the way that they're that you're putting together the their structure and their philosophy at this point? Or? Yeah. So I have been editor of Chess Life now for almost two years. Amazing. It 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 <laughs> it, it feels like a lot longer. Um, and and part of this, you know, I I didn't. I did. I, I don't think I fully understood what goes into doing a magazine every month before I took the job. I mean, I you know I, I wrote a column, so I I knew that there was a bit of a, a grind involved because you have to, you know, every month you got to make the donuts. You, you, you have to you have to put something out. Um, but to be to be the editor of such a, a historic magazine, it's it's a very big responsibility. Um, I mean, at least it, it feels to Absolutely. me like a very big responsibility. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. Yeah. And, and also think of the, all the really important names for, for people who've been in the chess world. The Chess Life Editors is, a, is in itself a sort of a hall of fame It's because they've been such important people in the, in the USCF and in U.S. chess generally. And so it's, it's, a, it's a really prestigious thing. <laughs> it's a really important uh, position and one that uh, I'm really excited about you having, actually. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, it's, you know, I, I, I feel, I mean, there's, there's no small bit of imposter mm-hmm. syndrome that, that, <laughs> that I think that, that I feel quite often um, when I look at some of the people who have, have done this before me. But I am very fortunate to have uh, two excellent mentors in Dan Lucas and Melinda Matthews, um, both of who have done this job. And both of whom continue to be excellent support for me. Um, Melinda still helps out with some things. She's got more than enough on her, her plate doing Chess Life Kids and all of the ancillary publications, the inward-facing publications that, that U.S. Chess produces, the programs, um, the annual report, all of these things. Um, that, that's under her uh, purview. So uh, that she has the time to assist with some of the things with Chess Life is, is, is staggering to me. Um, but you know, I, I have a, a, a great art director, uh, Natasha, and, uh, she's making our magazine look fantastic. So yeah, I, I couldn't ask for better support. And, uh, yeah, I think the, the visual aspect of the magazine is just, is just wonderful. I would say that Dan Lucas made a huge leap in terms of professionalism when he came in. And I was so impressed with, with what happened when he changed and I, what, what I see, partially what you've done, is I think the, the appearance of the magazine is greatly improved. Uh, the photography and the, um, the layout and uh, the, um, is, is really impressive. So I don't know how many people are going to be listening to this that have been around for 20 or 30 years, but Just Life was always fun and interesting and had some fantastic articles and columnists, but it really wasn't as professional as a major 
magazine really would want to be. Do you, do you agree with that? that- I, I hope so. Um, I mean, <laughs> you know, we, um, under our previous art director, um, Corey Kennedy, we, we undertook a, a pretty significant um, overhaul of the magazine, of everything about it, the, you know, the, the layout, the fonts, um, I mean, everything from, you know, even color schemes. Um, and, and the result, I think, is a magazine that, that is, is visually appealing, but is also easier to read. Um, I agree. Yes. And, um, you know, Natasha Roberts is just um, continuing that and tweaking and adding her own flourishes. And um, yeah, I, I, I love the way it looks. I, to me, it, it's, it's the best looking magazine out there. Um, the best looking chess magazine, certainly. I, I am biased, I realize, but I, I do. No, but it's true. Most the chess magazines are a little bit stuck in the past with respect to appearance. Um, this is, you know, as wonderful as something like New in Chess is, uh, New in Chess, which is, you know, maybe the best in the world in terms of content and elite level, elite level players uh, writing. Uh, it still doesn't have the visual um, excitement yeah. that the chess life has. It doesn't make you excited to be a chess player. It does, and really appeals more to really advanced players, uh, whereas Chess Life has a general appeal to both advanced and beginning players and intermediate players. So. Yeah, and this this is one of the things that, you know, when, when you asked what the future looks like, um, I'm, I'm, my vision is, is a distinctively American magazine, one that really does focus on American chess, but one that slowly I'm trying to add different components to, like things for improvers. Um, you know, both adult improvers and uh, improvers of a younger variety. So things like um, Alex King's series on the Tarash defense, I'm really excited about because, you know, over the span of six issues, readers will come away, club, club players, you know, players like, you know, 1,400, 1,500. I, I, I honestly, I think up to about 2,000. Uh, maybe oh, easily. Yes. Yes. And I think lower too. I think you, you don't have to be that advanced for that kind of, I think a, an 800 player could get a ton out of that, that series. Well, especially because Alex did a very good job, I think in the first, in the first, uh, installment, which I think was in February or March, um, where he sort of broke down key things you need to know about isolated queen pawn positions, um, and did it in a very, in, in a in a simple but not simplified way, and um, I, I think it sort of set the tone for the entire series because, you know, he 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 does some serious theoretical work in there, but it's also presented in a way that, you know, uh, to have a full repertoire against everything except e four, in the series of maybe fifteen to twenty pages, is a very hard thing to do. Oh sure, and he's doing it, um, so. You know, that's the sort of thing that I, I'm really excited to be bringing to the magazine. I've got some some other theoretical type articles. Some are a little higher pitched, some are not, but they're, they'll be coming in future months. Um, Doug Eckert uh, wrote a great piece for the May issue about openings for seniors. Um, and, you know, uh, given that we're, we're, we're calling 50-year-old seniors in the chess world, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not that far off that myself. So, uh, you know, Doug did a a great job of sort of talking about, you know, look, if you're not a kid and you don't have oodles of time to invest and in, maybe you don't have a professional coach giving you, you know, opening analysis, how, 
how do you approach this? How do you how do you learn openings? How do you choose openings that work for you? And Doug gave well, us the a- nice thing is he gave his his own personal. Sorry to interrupt. He, that he gave his own personal experiences about the Rigos and defense and exactly. other things. And and that instead of just talking about oh did I win this nice game and that nice game he actually talked about what went wrong yeah. <laughs> in his preparation and and what it was like being older trying to prepare and what was effective and what wasn't so that was very impressive because it was nice and modest and uh, realistic that that's exactly so it I, I think when I read that piece when it came in I I thought it would resonate with a lot of the readers because they'll see themselves in it um, mm-hmm. and you know as 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 I say, I, I, you know, I, I subscribe to new in chess. I subscribe to uh chess magazine, you know, the, the, the British, uh, British magazine. I subscribe to, uh, you know, a number of state periodicals. Um, and they all have their own niches, but I, I feel like maybe this is one place where we can sort of hone in and, you know, cover the big events, um, you know, cover the, the grand prix and, um, and, and cover, uh, you know the 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 national scholastic championships and and cover the U.S. championship and all all the things that our readers expect, but also each month I, I want to surprise them and you know with new in chess you pretty much know what you're going to get. Um, it's mm-hmm. going to be Anish Giri giving you great analysis and you know uh, the book Peter reviews. Or somebody else. <laughs> what, what's that? Sure, Peter Svidler or somebody. Yeah, or, uh, exactly. Um, yeah. And and you know and and that's great. And and as I said, I subscribe to the magazine myself, but. Um, I, I think what we're doing is something different and, and it has to be different to make a magazine stay relevant today. Um, you know, this, this is the hard thing and we're still working on it. We're still working on our website. We're still working on giving our online arm, all of the tools we need to be able to present material in the best way we can. Um, but you know, eventually one of the things that I'm looking to do is have more, synergy between the print magazine and the online version. So, you know, we, we've started putting your book reviews because you, you write book reviews for chess life, John, we we've started putting those online um, because they shouldn't be locked away. <laughs> they should be accessible to, to everyone who has come to know and appreciate your writing over the years. Um, and so, you know, we're trying to do that in a way that makes sense. And um, we're trying to do things with some of our back catalog um, you know, we've got all these tactics in, in the magazine that Bruce Pandolfini has done for years and years and years. And long term, I'd really like to see some of that stuff come back out and be useful again for 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 people who are just getting into the chess world. Um, th- there, there's a lot of ways we can improve, and you know, um, some of it is it's a it's a question of time, it's a question of personnel, it's it's you know, um, like like every other group or every other community in the world, we're you know, we're still coming back, coming, uh, coming back to, to normalcy after, after the pandemic, uh, membership is, is, is going up and up and up, but we're still not anywhere near where we were, you know, before February, 2020. Um, so, so as things continue to improve and we continue to add new things to chess life, I, I, I feel like we're just going to keep getting better and better. Yeah. And I think that, I think the one, one area that a national magazine can do that nobody else can do is, is covering scholastic events and young people's play so that they can actually find themselves getting a little bit of credit in, you know, kids all over the country can actually get mentioned and have their photograph and, and talk about tournaments they played in. I think that's a huge, a huge incentive for young players yeah. to appear in the, to appear in the national magazine and feel that what they're doing is getting some attention. Yeah. It's, that's a, it's definitely one of my longer term goals to bring more and more authors, especially young authors into into chess journalism. 
Um, and, and, you know, we've had, we've had some really good writers. Um, I, I think my favorite, um, and I know you've played him. In fact, he wrote about you, uh, a game he had with you in, in truly impressive detail a couple of years ago for Chess Life Online. Uh, Robert Shilichenko uh, has, mm. he, um, he, he's going to be doing an important cover story for us in the next couple of months. I, I don't want to give it away because I, I want to keep it a bit of a surprise. Um, but he, he's so impressive. He's, he's such a, a good analyst, a clear writer, has a very strong vision of chess. And he's like, he's a kid. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't Amazing. say that, I don't say that in a, in a pejorative way, but I mean, he's, he's a young person and sure. you know, if, I mean, who knows where life is going to take him, but I, I really hope he keeps writing about chess because it's, he, he's very good at it. Um, I agree. Yeah. And speaking of surprises coming up that you may not may or may not want to reveal, there's an interview with an important American chess player coming up in the June issue. There is. Uh, yeah. Can I, you tell us about that? I teased or do you it a little bit on Twitter. Anything? Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. No, I'm, I'm happy. I, I, I think this is a big get for us. Um, uh, we talked to Hikaru Nakamura uh, for about an hour um, last week. And the interview in its current edited form is about 9,000 words. Um, and I'm putting them all in <laughs> because, you know, for, for someone like Hikaru, someone who is um, getting ready to play in the candidates to take that much time and speak to us. And, and, and he turned down other interviews. I mean, I, and I asked him about it. I asked him about a couple in particular, he turned down a number of other interviews, but he talked to chess life. And as he told us, he said, you know, he cares about American chess and, you know, chess life has had a big part in chronicling the history of American chess. And, and so that's why he spoke to us. Um, yeah, I, I think readers are really going to find it interesting. And, and I suspect that'll be one of those things that we, we really try to have some synergy between the website and, and the print magazine. So, you know, I suspect probably sometime almost immediately after June 1st, when, when the digital edition goes live, um, we, will, we will make that all available on the website for people to read. Okay, well, let's skip the, uh, let's uh, get away from the magazine for a little while. Just talk about you. Uh, the first question I have for you is very simple. Uh, how about your own interest in chess? How were you introduced to chess? And what were your first playing experiences? So I was taught chess by my psychologist, by my therapist. Um, I wow. was like 12. I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's not the answer people usually get. Um, yeah, I, I was like 12 or 13. And um, like a lot of young men, um, my father and I didn't always get along and I had some anger issues. And so, uh, I was seeing a psychologist and his name was Shaul Rabinowitz. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure why he thought chess would be a good thing for me to, <laughs> to learn, but he, he said, Oh, we should, I'm going to teach you chess. And, and we would play. Oh, uh, that's funny. Yeah. And, and it was, and you know, it, it's funny cause I, I told this story, um, when I, the first time I was on Ben Johnson's podcast on perpetual chess and afterwards, like I was thinking about it because I was like, you know, like if it wasn't for Shaul, like I, I, I wouldn't, I mean, chess was not something that was played in my family. So mm-hmm. I actually, I, I found him. He's still in practice and on Long Island and I called him um, and I, you know, it was after hours. So I left a message. I just said, you know, um, probably don't remember me, but um, you know, I, I saw you years and years ago and you taught me chess and this is how it worked out. And it was such a great thing for me. And, and thank you. Um, and a couple of days later, he called me 
And it was, it was nice. I mean, you know, I mean, who knows how much he remembered me, but he, he certainly at least remembered enough to have, have a nice conversation with me. And, um, yeah, you know, people don't do that enough. They don't reach out to people who have been meaningful and, and tell them that they've been meaningful. And so, you know, th- this one little chance I had to do that was really, really, it, it was nice to that's be able great. to do that. That's, that's terrific. Yeah. Yeah. It means a lot to people. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I started, I started yeah. at the Merrick library, um, in Merrick, New York on the South shore, Long Island. And, uh, there was a guy there named Bob Sostak who was as kind as you could be to this kid who was a terrible chess player, <laughs> but was, you know, really interested in learning. And it was me and a bunch of old Russian guys, basically. <laughs> and they would tell, you know, there's sometimes they would mutter to themselves in Russian and, and one this is a little off color, but I guess, you know, it's, I'm assuming most people here are adults who are listening to this. I, I was looking at a, a game from a chess life magazine, of course, and I'm doing it, you know, playing the moves out by myself on the board there at the library. And this old man comes by, he goes, you shouldn't play with yourself. You filthy animal. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I was like 13 or 14. And I like, and what am I going to say? And I was like, mm, yes, sir. Okay. Um, but you know, I, I went there and my mom drove me and, and I mean, you know, of course, big shout out to both my parents. Well, I mean, my mom did most of the driving. Uh, my, my dad was always like, did you win any money? <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes because it was, I would get a class prize. He'd be like, okay, good. You won some money. Um, <laughs> but it was usually my mom driving any of these things. And, and soon um, I started going to the Nassau chess club, uh, which is still, still running in Nassau County um, by uh, led by Harold Stenzel, as it's been led by him for many, many years. And, you know, I mean, I, I, that's where I cut my teeth. That's where I learned what serious chess looked like. And um, I learned how to be a tournament director by watching Harold. Anyone who has played in an Omaha tournament and who has heard me shushing people, that's all Harold Stenzel. Like that's, that's me channeling him and his, <laughs> his demand for, you know, for, for, for as much silence and propriety as, as he could have. Um, so yeah, so that, that was really it. And then, you know, I, I went to college and I played some. And uh, when I went to do my master's in, in on Long Island, I played a little bit. Um, but chess sort of, it, it, it wasn't as important while I was trying to finish school, while I was trying to work on my doctorate, um, when I was really actively avoiding dissertation writing later, <laughs> it, it became more important. Um, but um, yeah, and then it sort of picked back up in, in the early, you know, the early, the, the, like, you know, 2009, 2010, 2011, um, especially when I moved to Nebraska. When I when I met a certain international master, John Watson, uh, who who for reasons that I will never understand decided he would uh, deign to give me lessons, and uh, yeah, I started playing more, and and then eventually, you know, inspired largely by you and and your completely unfounded belief in my abilities, um, I started writing book reviews, and uh, it was at the the 2013 U.S. Open where. Uh, everything sort of took off. I, I met Dan Lucas. I, I said, "Oh, hey, I write book reviews," and um, and and I ended up winning an award from the CJA. It was very um, surprising and, and kind of bad, you know underhanded, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, what happened was I, I met uh, Jeff Jeffrey Rowland and uh, Frank Nero. They were they were in the playing hall there in in, um, in Wisconsin. I think it was in Wisconsin. 
And they're in the playing hall. They're by themselves. There's nobody there. And they're just playing. And I was going around taking photos for my blog. And uh, so I took some photos of them and started talking to them. And I, you know, I introduced myself and I said, oh, I do this. And they, they said, oh, it's the website. And the next thing I know, I'm getting, you know, best blog from the CJA. Um, and that's where it all started. I, I started writing freelance for Chess Life. Then they gave me the column because it was easier than finding someone to write it every month, which as an You were also writing your own blog, and you also have always contributed to uh, things like um, uh, various online uh, venue, right, where you'll talk about things. So, I mean, you've always kind of written for the average person, not not even for money, right? Yeah. Well, and and, I mean, you know, it's... uh, I, I, you know, I wrote things for the Nebraska State Magazine run by uh, our mutual friend, Kent mm-hmm. Nelson, who is uh, truly mm-hmm. one of the good people in the chess world. I, I, I can't say enough good things about Kent. Um, you know, uh, websites. Um, but I mean, really, it was, it was the blog. It was just, I, I wanted to, I wanted to contribute and, and I wanted, I wanted to sort of. And you're, you're on uh, book clubs on the online, you're on Twitter, right? Uh, well, now especially, uh, yeah. I mean, Twitter is, a, is. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I try to contribute to discussions there. Uh, chesspub.com, which is the the forum mm-hmm. associated with chesspublishing.com, which uh, I recommend to people at every turn. Um, you know, for, for, the, for the amount of money you pay each, you know, each year, you get an immense amount of great opening material to study. Um, yeah, I've, I've recommended it to, to you know, um, IMs and GMs who, who are looking for things. Um, okay, let me let me back off for just a second so we don't forget. T- talk a little bit about how you got interested in chess books. I always assumed, and it, I, I may not be true at all, but that even after you started playing, you were more of someone who read chess books even than you were a player. Is that true? Or? Yeah, it's it, it's fun. I was just reading. Um, a magnificent. By the way, John has a magnificent um, chess library. It's not huge. It's not a hundred thousand volumes or something like Lothar Schmidt, but it's. Um, excellent quality books, really high quality books. And, and yeah, I, I've, I'm fortunate in a number of ways. Um, I mean, first of all, my wife, um, you know, is is patient with me and understands that sometimes um, I buy chess books when I don't need them. <laughs> um, and and you know, I mean, you know, like sometimes there are auctions, uh, like at um, uh, Chesslund.com, which is like a a charity wing, I think, for like a Swedish. Uh, scholastic program and and so there's there's auctions that people do of of um less common chess books there and so you know i mean sometimes i end up getting things there like um uh i got bh woods copies his bound copies with his you know like with with his um imprint on it of old issues of the uh midwest chess news um which you know i mean to most people they don't care but to me to have something from wood <laughs> And also have it be Nebraska related. Like I, there was no way I was not going to get that. And um, <laughs> um, yeah, so she's, she's very patient and kind with me because, you know, I'm sure that money could be ben- better spent on other things, but I think um, a lot of the listeners will know this story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, everyone will hear themselves in this and, and, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, I, I built it a lot through um, review copies, which was, I mean, honestly, that's the reason I, I wanted to start writing the reviews because I had no money and I was like, boy, maybe I get some review copies and, and then I could write some reviews and you know, get some books. Um, but, but I've always, I've, I've always loved chess literature. Um, you know, when, when Dvoretsky died, 
Um, and I, I wrote about this when I, when we did something about, when, when I did the obit for him um, online. That was quite an issue. Yes, that was a very interesting issue. Um, but, but one of the things I said was I, I, very rem- I, I remember very clearly being in, I think it was a Walden Books in East Meadow, New York, and seeing that first book he put out in English, Secrets of Chess Training, which um, legend has it, and I don't think it's actually just legend, I think it's true, that U.S. chess sales back when it was sort of run by U.S. chess, um, they had to stop carrying it because people would buy it and they, they would return it because they're like, this is not what I expected. <laughs> um, really? That would be, wow. I mean, it's, it's, you know, this book was so difficult and, 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 you know, there, there was not. Yeah. His first books, Adam Secrets of Positional Strategy, those two books, they were by Cadogan and, and uh, they were, yeah, they were kind of shockingly good yeah. <laughs> and interesting because they were from the standpoint of the very, best players and some really serious concepts of how to play as opposed to just simple instructional content. Yeah. But I, I so. like, I remember, I remember picking that book up off the shelf and granted I was rated like 1100. So, you know, there's no reason I should have been reading that book or even, but I bought it. Like, I remember the smell of it. I, I remember, <laughs> I mean, because that's to me, that's what books are like books. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you understand this, John, because you, you're sure, also absolutely. a bibliophile. But absolutely, there is something that cannot be duplicated by digital media. Um, and, and to be able to look at my shelves and know that I can go whenever and, and pull off, you know, Averbach's best games, um, you know, speaking of somebody who, who recently passed or uh, Portish or, you know, the, the, the Botvinnik, uh, the, the three volumes uh, from Moravian Chess, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to have those and, and to be able to sort of speak with the dead like that. Um, I always thought the, the the way Purdy talked about it was, you know, that that uh, when you replay an annotated game, it's it's like you're you're conjuring the spirits of of, of the masters from years gone by, and that's great. I think that's true. I mean, you know, you, uh-huh. you put yourself in conversation with Alyekin or with Botvinnik or Smyslov, and sure. I mean, what what, what <laughs> was it Donner who said that? Um, you know, the the chess is the most beautiful way to waste your life. <laughs> there you go. And and hey, uh, that feels uh, right. And, and and speaking of books for a second, I wanted to make sure that uh, I asked you which teaching books uh, you've always you've always been interested in instructional books. And of course, you've had a lot of students yourself, and you've taught classroom courses in chess. Mm-hmm. So, so you you have a lot of the experience. Um, maybe uh, listeners would appreciate uh, a few tips on what teaching books impress you the most. Maybe for the let's say the beginner through the young tournament player. So, um, for me, the best instructional books anywhere are the chess steps books, the Stappen method books. Um, the problem with them is that basically you need someone, you kind of need someone to hold your hand through it, at least at the beginning. Um, they they are, they can be used by adult improvers, but it's, it's trickier. Um, but you know, in terms of a sort of structured path from, absolute beginner to master level player, uh, th- there's nothing better than that. Um, and, and, you know, empirically, uh, the Dutch have had a lot of success building good, strong players using this method. So for me, I, I think that anyone who, who wants to better their chess um, should, should look at the steps books. In fact, uh, my chess has been so miserable recently, and I, and I don't know if it's COVID brain, I don't know what it is, um, but I'm actually going back to step one and I'm just starting over. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just going to try to get the concepts built in and, and, and see, you know, what I can do. 
Um, other books, I, I like Yusupov's books from Quality Chess. I think they're wonderful for slightly more advanced players, probably players like 1500, 1600, 1700 to start with, and they get very, very difficult. I have not gotten all the way through them, obviously, um, but uh, th- they are excellent and they're good value. No, for no, money. Yusupov, he did, he had that series uh, with Alms, right? These uh, excellence series. Um, so this is something that Quality Chess has done more recently. Yeah, Do you know what so, the series is called, or um, yeah. well, it's like Chess Evolution. Gotcha. Um, That's it. Chess Evolution. Something like yeah. that. There, there's there's three different uh, three different titles. Yeah. So Yusupov did books with Dvoretsky for Alms. Um, and those were, I think, based on Dvoretsky and Yusupov's school that was in Moscow in the early 1990s. Um, and th- Academy, those are right. a lot more accessible, like the um, oh, uh, Secrets of Creative Chess. I think Greg Shahadi has recommended this left and right. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. It's very readable for normal human beings, um, you know, people who aren't masters. Uh, so, but, but these other Yusupov books, they're, they're basically kind of like... They're not quite, they're workbooks, but they have little lessons on them. And um, they're, you know, really, really high quality. So um, I think there's 10 books now because there's like a quiz book that, 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 that they released later. Those are excellent. Um, for lower rated players, I, I think P- Peter Giannatos's book that just came out, Everyone's Second Chess Book. Um, a lot of puzzles, but, but really well constructed and really well thought out. I think that's a really nice book for people to use. Um, and then, of course, you know, I, I always feel like you should play through the classics. So, you know, if you don't know Morphe's games, get a book of Morphe's games and play through them. Um, the same thing with Alyekin, the same thing with Capablanca. Um, you know, it, it's not only, you, you'll learn a lot, but it's also, I, I think it's, it's a fun way to, to spend some time um, seeing what the great players did and, and then trying to figure out how on earth you're supposed I to do I also think it's, easy, it's easier to stick with a book like that, too. I mean, if you're trying to learn, it can be kind of a drag trying to go through systematic uh, techniques uh, and stay really interested and really have fun with them. Whereas yeah. a games collection, at least from my point of view, a games collection is kind of like candy. It's just fun. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, absolutely. Uh, and, 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 and you don't have to tear apart every note uh, in detail. You can, you can just skim around and go, wow, what an exciting game this was. And look, look at these two great players slugging it out and, and uh, pick up a lot of tips. So, yeah, and, and so I agree with you there. For me, I, th- yeah. I think that's you know, the biggest thing to remember is that this is a hobby, you know, like, so the, the, they're all, there are a lot of chess improvers, especially on Twitter who have sort of, um, they're like proud of their masochism, <laughs> like how, how much training they're able to do and, and how they're able to optimize it. And I mean, maybe I'm just at a different point in my life, but like, I, look, if I ever get to 2000, that will be an amazing achievement for me. Um, you know, my best result ever was the, the 2019 U.S. Open. And I gained like 120 rating points and I won the B prize. I got almost to 1,900. And that was a good platform for me. But then uh, the COVID, COVID came. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had some pretty serious health issues, not COVID related. But I mean, you know, again, if anyone's heard me talk about this before, um, I have a condition called achalasia where basically um, it's a it's a... They don't know what, what causes it, but, um, I lost the ability to swallow and I had to have some fairly significant surgery to, uh, correct or at least better the situation. 
And now my insides don't look like normal people's insides. That's, you know, I mean, that was a big thing. And, um, you know, whatever the cause was, um, I am not a 1900 player and maybe, you know, maybe with some work I will be, but I, I also don't know if I care. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, like I, I, yeah, I mean, the main thing at this point is to get back and have some fun just playing and not getting too upset about it. Yeah. That's right. I think, I think you're absolutely right. And then you'll find you are a 1900 player pretty easily, actually. I hope so. Higher actually, but, but you just need to get started again. I yeah, think that's true. And, a lot and, of know, people, a lot of people post COVID are kind of going through this where they really haven't played for a couple of years. Yeah. So if they aren't online fanatics. Yeah. Well, and that's, so, uh, you know, and Nakamura talked about this. He talked about how there's kids right now who, you know, literally trained for two years, played online chess and are now coming back and tearing up the world. Incredibly strong. I now. mean, you know, yeah. so, some of these Indian kids like Gukesh, um, uh, Aragasi, um, and of course Prague. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. but they, they were, oh, yeah. they were playing. I mean, they were playing in some pretty high level <laughs> chess 24 events, but, but now that, you know, like serious rated chess is back. I mean, they're, they're I destroying people. Proven, I think we've proven that, uh, pure online play, in fact, almost even just pure blitz play, although it'd be nice if you threw in other, of course th- those guys played quite a few other games too, but, but you you can improve massively through just pure online play and even or even blitz games. I think that's always been controversial, right? Yeah. Because blitz is sort of. I always thought that you uh, deepened your you know, the mistakes you made. You made worse by repeating them again and again and again by playing too much chess. But I think that theory is gone. I think as long as you're young and flexible and your mind is open, um, just the just pure sheer quantity of play is actually. Do you agree with that? That's actually pretty much, uh, you're going to improve. I, I, I think, I mean, I would not have believed it either. I, I, I mean, you know, this is, I mean, I think I got some of the same sort of traditional chess knowledge that you did that, yeah. that you know, you have to play slow games. Blitz is dangerous. Um, cause you don't want to reinforce your bad habits, right? right? That was the theory, but I, I think it's just kids are so good that they don't really reinforce, they don't, <laughs> the amount that they learn overwhelms the amount, you know, the, the small problem of re- reinforcing mistakes. Yeah. And it's, I asked, actually, I asked Hikaru about this and I, you know, I, I, I said, look, you know, um, essentially I said, you're breaking every single rule Botvinnik came up with for chess improvement. <laughs> like all you did was play blitz online for two years and now you're in the candidates. How does that work? <laughs> and, and he said, he said, you know, honestly, he thinks that the amount of chess he saw was just really, really good for him. And, and, and you, I mean, you can't argue with results. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting time to not just be a chess fan, but somebody who isn't interested in, in pedagogy and improvement, because I mean, you know, maybe there is something to just puzzle rush, puzzle rush, puzzle rush. Maybe there's something to it. I, it's not for me. Um, I, I, I don't seem to improve much when I do that, but, or, or actually playing whole games, maybe is even better because that whole idea of, you're in a sport and you're trying to win and you've got to know how to kind of time your thoughts and your, and your moves through an entire game. Yeah. So, so even if it's just a rapid game or a, or a blitz game, um, I think that's even more valuable than puzzles just personally. Yeah. Well, I'm I not mean, con- there, there, I don't know, John, what people. do you think? Are, are, are there people who are saying that puzzles basically got them to be as strong as they are? Or I, I think that's actually, I think that's a common error in people's thinking. Okay. Um, okay. Because, you know, if you, if you look at players on chess.com, for example, where puzzle rush lives, you know, you'll, you'll find people who are rated 2,300 in puzzles and rated 1,200 in blitz. Oh, all the time. Yeah. All that's what time. I see. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't 
I mean, if, if there's no correlation between <laughs> playing strength and tactics, then I mean, I'm a little surprised, but also, you know, the, the old Spielman, you know, Rudolf Spielman talking about Aliekin, where he said, um, you know, I can see the tactics as well as he can. I just I can't get those positions. Like, but I, but I think also it's getting those positions in the context of a game and recognizing that's that's think. exactly it. Yeah. If, yeah. if you don't have so, someone whispering to you, there's a tactic here. Look for weird moves. Um, you're you're just not going to find them. So, yeah, it, it's I don't know. It, the next ten years are going to be really really interesting to watch. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, so so let me before we uh, I'm going to interrupt you again. Um, before we leave books completely, you mentioned sorting through the U.S. Chess Library with John Donaldson uh, recently. Uh, what was the background on that? And uh, John Donaldson is also one of the great book experts in the entire, as well as authors in the United States. And uh, uh, what guys, did, what what kind of surprises did you run into, or what was what was worth doing about that? Well, I mean, first of all, I had never met John before. We had emailed. Um, he's written for us. He he wrote a uh, you know a great cover story about uh, Fisher's legacy that was tied to his book release. Um, so I knew him a little bit. And of course, you know, I, I, I know him a little bit through you and through some other people, but, uh, I got to spend basically like two days with John and, uh, we worked our butts off. <laughs> um, I schlepped more boxes of books than I, I want to think about than my poor back wants to think about. Um, but it was eye opening um, to see how much work has already gone into chess preservation? And, and what I mean by that is, um, and I wrote about this a little bit about when I was writing about Ray Hayes. Um, there were a number of very big libraries that were donated to U.S. chess over the years. Hayes mm-hmm. was probably the biggest, I think it was like sometime in the 80s, and he, he won an award for it from the, from the board. There was a time when being editor of Chess Life would have required a library like that because, you know, you have to check game references or you, uh, you need to have an opening book on hand to check an assertion by an author. And, and without having a, a very serious research library in multiple languages, you're not really going to be able to do that. Um, today, like just about all of the bulletins that we found, and, and these were bulletins in German, in Dutch, in Serbian, a lot of Soviet-era bulletins. They're all already in Megabase. I didn't know that. They've all, I mean, you know, we, we would go through and I would find something and I'd say, John, do we need to keep this? And he'd say, no, it's in the database. And, oh. <laughs> and nine times out of 10, when I checked, probably more than that, he was right. Um, so, you know, one of the hardest things we had to do was figure out what to keep, what to send to St. Louis uh, to the World Chess Hall of Fame on permanent loan, which is, I think, how we're going to work it. And then some of the things we decided to keep for U.S. chess. Um, so we really sort of had like three different buckets. And the things that we kept for U.S. chess were things like, you know, um, two complete runs of chess life, uh, you know, bound editions and a bunch of loose ones as well. Um, materials that were related to the mission of U.S. chess and also to its history. So Oh, of course. Um, yeah. You know, U.S. Open bulletins and um, some some mementos and and books of historical significance that were maybe signed by players of of, of import. Like we found, um, you'll you'll remember this book. It's a little green book about end games by Whitaker. Do you remember this book? Well, I'm not sure. No, I don't think so. By Norman Whitaker. By Norman Whitaker and somebody else. Hmm. Um, 
but we found two copies of it that were inscribed to different people and signed by like 16 members of the log cabin chess club. Oh, that's terrific. So, yeah. you know, like, ev- I mean, like the Byrne brothers and, uh, sure. I mean, sure. everybody, uh, it, it was amazing to find these and they were inscribed to different people too. I think, I think they were, it was from like the 1961 U S open where they gave these out to people. Um, and so to find that, that, that was really historically important. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we, we, there was no way to keep everything. So, um, there was a call for U.S. chess affiliates to go to Crossville and to pick up what amounted to about 130 boxes of books, including, you know, um, some really, really cool books, some, some that had never even really been read before, some had never been opened. Um, wow. and, and the people who, who went there, I, I suspect they're very, very happy with what they got. Um, the biggest thing is we wanted to make sure that nothing got thrown out. And uh, we were pretty successful in that all of the books that we weren't able to either keep for us chess or, you know, in particular with a lot of the periodicals, like the state periodicals and some of the foreign language stuff we're, we're going to oh. give on permanent loan uh-huh. to, to the hall of fame. Um, anything that we weren't able to keep in either of those buckets has gone to chess enthusiasts. And, and that was really important to me because it, it felt like it was, it felt like it was a solution that sort of did right by the intentions of the donors, but also made sense in our modern setting. Like, you know, I mean, I work remotely. I live in Omaha. I don't have unlimited shelf space as, as much as I wanted to take home everything. And I did want to take to home put, everything. To uh, put this in, in context for a second, uh, the USCF is moving to St. Louis. Yes. Uh, and what, what what's your impression of where they're moving? You're saying it's basically a much smaller place? Or? Um, I mean, so, you know, the the... The building in Crossville, which we were so fortunate to get by, you know, under the great work of Harry Sabine, um, it's huge. And it was built for a time when U.S. Chess had a staff of like 20 people on site where we had a, you know, a, a book and equipment business. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense for the staff we have now um, where, you know, uh, we're all over the country, um, you know. Uh, our executive director is in North Carolina. Um, our director of communications and our uh, publications uh, editor are both in the Atlanta area. I'm in Omaha. Um, you know, so we're we're so spread out that that it doesn't make sense to have a gigantic space like that. So um, the the location hasn't been made public yet for St. Louis. Um, we do, I. Th- think we're, we're, if we're not under contract for a place, we're very near to being under contract. Um, to me, it's an excellent location in St. Louis. It is, I, I will say it is not very close to the club, but I think that's also good. Um, because, you know, I mean, U.S. Chess and the World Chess Hall of Fame, despite all the things we work on, we are separate entities. And I, I think it's, I think it's important for us to sort of respect that. And, um, yeah, if you go to St. Louis, you know, and I, I don't know if people are going to be able to visit the office, but um, it, it'll be in a location where where people could find us pretty easily. Super. Okay. Well, you mentioned um, you you were talking about the next ten years, and I was going to ask you what you think about chess heading into the future. Um, one really easy thing: to, uh, are you are you concerned? Do you think the time controls are going to just keep shrinking in classical? Chess time controls will just be something that the average player very seldom even sees, or will there always be a nice balance there? 
I, my, my thinking has changed on this a lot. Um, I used to be a purist. I, I, I used to want to, and, and, you know, and still, I mean, I, I, for whatever reason, I have found that I need time to look at a position and figure out what on earth is going on. So for me, slower time controls are better. It, it's not an accident that my best results have been at the U.S. Open where you have, you know, it's, you know, 40 and 2 SD1 or something like that. Um, that said, I, I think they are going to be less and less common. Um, because people don't have the time to play, you know, a, a full old style weekend Swiss anymore. Um, you know, with like a game Friday night, two Saturdays, two Sunday. Uh, it's much easier financially, um, in terms of, you know, other commitments people have to play like five rapid games and call it a day. Um, and it certainly seems like with the the shift to online chess, that rapid time controls are going to win out. Um, you know, watching a, a slow tournament online is sometimes, it, it feels like watching paint dry. Um, but rapid games, there's always something going on and, and you know, there's enough turnover that, that the presentation is, um, is easier and, and people's attention spans work better with that format. Um, you know, you, you couple that with the, the, the balkanization of the chess world in terms of finance and, and, and sponsorship and, you know, chess.com and chess 24 and FIDE all sort of competing with one another. Um, I, I think it's also the dollars are really sort of going to dictate some of this and blitz and rapid play are going to become more important. And I mean, on the one hand, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting. Um, on the other hand, I, I sort of feel like we're losing some, some bit of the tradition. If the world championship ever is not classic time controls, I'm, I'm really going to be very, very sad. Right. I don't, I don't think that's as much of a thing, but I think the idea that the average player might even just run into, I mean, it's, it's inconvenient and it's expensive Yeah. for, to have a club or to have a place to play even is expensive. You know, there's rentals and, the, and, the, and it's difficult to organize and there's a lot of physical labor and, uh, involved. And I'm just wondering if, um, if we're just going to see less and less of even local chess tournaments in favor of online. And there's no reason why not. I'm not even saying that's a bad idea. I'm just wondering what you, what you think that's, that's happening. I, I hope not. Um, you know, one of the things that, one of the reasons I wanted to write that cover story was precisely to see the people together um, and, and how important that was the postmortems and the laughter and, and, you know, being with other people, um, you know, the, the, when we look back, I mean, obviously there's going to be a lot of things we take away from the pandemic, but I, I think the biggest one is we saw just how bad loneliness can be for people. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, mental health. And even from a, a, a practical standpoint, I just thought I'd throw this in there is that I think with students, it's amazing how useful it is to have a good friend yeah. uh, in the chess community who's roughly your own strength and, or even, even not maybe, but, but someone you can uh, get together with and have for, have some fun playing and studying. Yeah. No, uh, I, I, think I think it's, it's, it's yeah. tremendously important and yeah, it, it's the, the, the death of the local club or, or the, the, the slow death of the, of the local club, I, I think is a shame. Um, you know, I'm still trying to find a place here in Omaha that we can have a, a weekly club, you know, like one game a week, like a, game 60 game or some rapid games or something like that. And it's hard because, you know, unless you've got money behind you or you've got, 
uh, an inn with a church or a school or something like that. I mean, you can't afford the rental fees. And, 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 and it's so time consuming and looking for some place that's going to try to do that and getting some volunteers to actually help out, uh, you know, with the organization and, uh, you need somebody to help you for most tournaments. You probably need some people to help you out. I think you did most of yours on your own, but, but that's a real task. Well, and, and I mean, you know, people, I mean, people as they, as their lives change they're I mean, I, I can't do that anymore. I, I can't, I, I, Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I did a lot yeah. of organizing here. Um, and yes, I ran a lot exactly. of tournaments and, I do not have the energy to do it anymore. Other people are picking it up. Um, Steve Cusimano here in Omaha, great guy. Um, he is, he's picking it up. Uh, Mike Gooch, okay. John Lynn Scott. These guys here in Nebraska are, are picking things up and, and making them work again. And it's always been such an underrated part of chess. Yeah. Uh, the contribution of organizers and directors who get very little, get a lot of complaints and very little credit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and almost none of them make any money unless they're on some, you know, national level and uh, big tournaments with lots of top players and high entry fees, but, but through, you know, state after state, there's nobody making any money on, on actually running chess no. tournaments. No, it's, it's, and, it's uh, really hard to do. I mean, especially if you're trying to keep entry fees low for people. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, all the credit into the world, to those guys and to, to all the organizers out there who, I mean, they're, they're who make us chess run. They are, we're not, you know, we're not a national federation. Like, I mean, you know, I don't want to talk about Russia. I don't want to talk about all that. But like, but like, but like the <laughs> Russian you federation. You're right? not the federal government. <laughs> I mean, that's it. I mean, we, we don't, you know, that's not gotcha. our role. Our role is right. basically to provide the infrastructure for local people to do what they do. And certain services. Yeah. yeah that's and, some and that's key services. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I mean, they are, they are, the heroes. Um, yeah. It's just amazing to me when I think, and a lot of these people have been doing it their whole lives. I mean, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. Of, well, uh, and, and this is one of the things I said um, when I was on 64 chess podcast is that it's up to the young people now because there is an entire generation of chess organizers who are getting older and <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, like if you, yes, look, no, absolutely. Absolutely. If, if you look around yeah. the delegates meeting at the U S open, um, when I was a delegate before I was working full-time for us chess or, or even, you know, part-time, um, I was the youngest person in the room. That's not good. Like we need young people. And, and there are some, there, there are some people who are stepping up and finding ways to organize and contribute and, and they're the future. I mean, that's, those are the people we need to find and nurture and bring into the fold and get them into leadership positions because, you know, they're the ones who are going to carry this forward. Um, uh, you know, it, it's funny. That's um, I'm a big fan of New Orleans music, and uh, to me, the only church I believe in is Preservation Hall. Like that's 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 when I'm in New Orleans, I go to Preservation Hall and I commune with the spirits. Um, and and they have a, a motto called "Protect, Preserve, Perpetuate." And that's what they see their mission as, and that's 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 what I see my mission as too. I mean, that, that's what, car- I mean, I, you know, being editor of Chess Life, sure. I'm carrying it forward and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, God, I, I hope they let me do this for 20 years, but however long they let me do it, um, I, I want to carry it forward and bring people into the tradition and, and show them all the great things about chess and, and hand it off to somebody else in the future in better shape than I got it. And if I do that, I mean, that, that's, a life, that's a life well lived. That would be a great place to end. We've talked for quite a while, but I'd also like to just real quickly have you talk about your um, 
work with chess engines and uh, the hard, hardware and software that you use to to support chess engines some of the work yeah, you've done um, what, what, how did you maybe maybe start out with how you got that interest and then give whatever details you feel like well um i've always been interested in computers and uh i i i have to thank my my late uncle uh roy hartman i have to thank him for that so my, my uncle roy <laughs> uh he was a hippie and a bit of a stoner <laughs> Um, but as long as I knew him, he was always interested in technology. Um, he had like a, a Commodore 64 that somehow he had made into a portable Commodore 64, had a tiny little screen. It was this big thing. Like, I don't know if, if, if anyone listening to this remembers the Commodore 64, but this was a very early personal computer. And I remember going, uh, going and, and seeing my grandmother and, and he lived on the top half of the house and I'd go up and play Zaxxon on, on his, on his computer. Um, and because of him, like I, I got interested in computers, and and you know when I uh, when I was at Southern Illinois University, my my assistantship uh, was doing computer repair and uh, networking stuff with uh, my dear friend Vince Lacey, who uh, was on faculty there working for him. And so I, I just sort of it naturally happened that you know I, I'd used Chessbase from the time it was in DOS, um, and and eventually I started building my own computers. Like you know uh, I my wife chides me because I, I essentially have a computer lab here in my office. I've got my work desktop. I've, I've got a, a machine I built specifically for analysis. Um, and I do this because I'm interested in it. I, I, but it's also important for my work. Like, you know, I mean, compared to normal human beings, I'm a pretty good chess player compared to the people I'm editing. Um, I'm a potser. So it's very helpful to me to be able to have super strong engines on call to check things. And to make sure that the analysis that goes in the magazine is as good as it can be. Um, and you know, along the way, I've been fortunate to, um, to help some players uh, with engines, with you know, accessing them, with uh, buying hardware, understanding what they need and what they don't. Um, I'm even doing uh, some courses or, or, or some, some sessions on using Chessbase uh, for uh, Jakob Agard's uh, Killer Chess Training Academy. So I think I've done six of them now. I did one last night on um, searching and, and all of the different things you can use uh, the search filters for in Chessbase and, and the different things you can find. Um, yeah, it, It's, you know, in, incredibly useful to know how to use that software. Um, and the problem today is that I think most young people, they're frustrated by it because they don't, they, they expect everything to be like an iPad. Like the, you know, the, the, there's no taking care of your data or installing things in anything other than an app store. Um, or even understanding the hardware that involved and just understanding the difference and the importance. Yeah. Of, uh, well, I mean, uh, you know, what, you, you what can spend kind of hardware you need to do good analysis. Yeah. You, you can, you can spend thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, I mean, you can spend <laughs> as much money as you want on this. And for most normal people, um, you don't have to spend that much to get a machine that will do everything you want. Um, and then once you really know how to use it and understand what the engine's saying, like, you know, what plus 0.3 means for Stockfish as opposed to <laughs> sure. 0.7 or, or 1.5 or 1.8 um, in, in different types of positions. Once you understand what that means, um, I, I think it's, it's really, really useful. Um, you know, certainly people can get better without using engines and without using computers. Um, but I, I think it's, it's you, you'd be missing out on a, 
you know, I mean, look, how, how many people get to have a, a grandmaster living in their basement, uh, you know, li- living in, ready for them to ask questions at, at, at any moment of the day? <laughs> right. Probably, probably not many people. Um, but if you have a, if you have a good computer, you know, Stockfish will tell you why a certain move is wrong. And, and 99 times out of a hundred, 99.5 times out of a hundred, you can trust that it's absolutely right. It's um, a new world. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, God, I was looking at one of your books today. I was looking at one of your English, um, you know, your, your English books for Batsford. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to write that before computers <laughs> and, and before databases. I mean, you know, the amount Thousands of research. Of index cards. <laughs> the, index, I can't even hand, think hand, handwritten, handwritten index cards. <laughs> and, uh, and scrawled out notes, which of course half of them weren't even correct anyway, you know, the, the su- suggestions and things that just occurred to me as I was researching. And of course later turned out to be not not really relevant yeah but, uh, it's, you know it's, it's funny I, I i think maybe and, and you know people talk about this about you know um studying games collections from before the computer era um that is the one danger that that i find for our authors um for me when i'm when i'm trying to write is you have to be very careful to have annotations that that make sense to humans um you know, if you just sort of spit back what the engine says, it's not good for anybody. But but if you can somehow use the engine to figure out questions that a human would want to have answered, that's where the really good writing kicks in. And you know, a good example of uh, how treacherous uh, that is is that of all people, ChessBase, who really almost invented the chess engine and developed mm-hmm. it, and have worked with it for and sell them, and have worked with them for years. If you go to the Chessbase homepage, which is one of my favorites, by the way, and I think it's a great site uh, for news, uh, they often accompany their leading articles with games that are annotated by computer. And they're completely worthless because there's no human intelligence telling you what anything means or I, I, it's a little hard to describe, but they don't make any sense. Yeah. And they also have verbal verbal annotations with them that are really silly. So here's the most sophisticated site in the world and people in the world with who I admire enormously. And they have this very silly kind of output about recent games, you know, the games of the day. And uh, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, John. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we have actually, from, from, no, from time to time we've, um, there have been a couple of events where we've used things like that, like what used to be called Anno Fritz. Uh-huh. Um, um, today I think it's called tactical analysis. We, we've some, we've occasionally done that. And, and, you know, I, I absolutely agree with you that the, the analysis you get through that is, is no match for what a human could do. You, even, you know, like a, a, a relatively competent human, like a, an expert or a master level player working with the engine, I, I think could do very easily do. And, and without much time, a, a much better job than, than you get from the, the automatic thing. The one, yeah. the only thing that I think makes me a little merciful in their direction um, is I know how hard it is to get content out. I mean, it's, oh, absolutely. Yeah, as I say, I admire this site very much. It's my favorite news site. They, I, mean, I go they, there every there's day. There's always so. something interesting in Chessbase. <laughs> it's not criticism. No. It's more just laughing about how how deceptive it is for people to use engines uh, when you have these 3,500 you know strength beasts. Yeah. But at the same time, they can be. <laughs> You know, yeah, a 1700 player would do a better job. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's quite fun. It's, um, the, the only, cause we've, it's funny cause we've, we've talked about this in house and, um, you know, generally speaking, I, I'd rather put up bare game scores, um, 
But there have been some occasions when we've thought maybe there was worth putting up something like, you know, the, the game with the the Lee Chess automatic analysis or something like that. Oh, that that's actually something that is important for people to understand, though, is that, you know, when you're getting an Anno Fritz game or um, a game like the the the, the Lee Chess automated analysis, the depth is very very shallow compared to what yes. you can do with your own engine at home. And, and sometimes it can be misleading. So sometimes there can be errors there just because, you know, there, there wasn't enough time set for the, the analysis to be done or the, you know, the, the online engine just wasn't as strong or, or anything like that. So, but it's also very silly. I mean, if there's, if there's uh, something that will lead to mate in five moves or something uh, and the person plays something that leads in seven, yeah. it's much more logical. And it's the only possible move you would make in a real game, especially under time pressure. Uh, whereas the other one, almost no sane person would play it. They'll still call one a mistake yeah. and the other <laughs> a better move. So well, I, th- I think the same thing is true with some of the tactical trainers is that, you know, if mm-hmm. maybe there's a move that's plus eight and then there's one that's plus three. And if if, if you, you find the but obvious the move, one that's plus, plus three. three is the one that any tournament player would want to find. Not only not only would they be the one that they, they'd more likely find, but there's the one that you really want your student to be playing. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be playing the plus eight move. <laughs> right. Because it, because the chances of finding it over the board are so slim. I mean, it's. That's right. And the chances to make mistakes yeah. resulting from that. and or, or maybe it depends on some lengthy, very marginal one. You only win by one move. Whereas if you make the plus three move, you win at your leisure. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyway. It's, it's, it's frustrating, but you know, this is. The, the, the good thing is that the people who are generating all the tactics like Lee Chess and Chess.com and Chess Tempo, my, my personal favorite website for that sort of thing, um, they're getting better at, at, at having more realistic and non-frustrating tactics. So Sure, um, absolutely. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully the trend continues. So, Okay, John, what do you think? Uh, I guess we've covered a lot of different subjects and um, hopefully you'll be able to interview yourself again or have <laughs> someone interview you. <laughs> Uh, for the same reason, because you'll be writing more cover stories. I, um, I, I hope not in the near future. <laughs> I was thrilled to uh, to be able to do this, even though I didn't contribute that much myself, just because I've always admi- I've admired what you're doing. And I don't know how you can do as much work as you do. It's just I'm just staggered. And um, I've always admired your contributions to chess so much. So it's really good to get a chance for you to tell your own story a little bit to the listeners. And uh do you have anything else to say? Uh, tune in next week, right? Well, tune in next month. Yeah. Well, we, we do have podcasts every week, but mine will be next month. Um, yeah. And I should say to you, and I, I know I've said this to you before, but um, you know, you, you have been such a great mentor to me and, and to have you do this interview with me. Um, it, it's, 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 it's wonderful. And, and I can't thank you enough because and I've told people this, if it wasn't for you, um, I would not have started doing this. I wouldn't have had the courage to do it, but but your encouragement and um, your, your care for me as a person, um, it's, it's meant the world. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. Okay. Thanks, John. And thanks to all our listeners. And uh, I as John says, we'll see you next month. Perfect. Okay. 
Thank you for listening to this edition of Cover Stories with Chess Life. Our podcast will return next month on the first Tuesday when we will again be making a deep dive into the pages of Chess Life magazine. U.S. Chess is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose educational mission is to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. To become a member, go to uschess.org and click on the Join button where you can find a membership option that is right for you. As a member, you enjoy rated play, print and digital copies of Chess Life or Chess Life Kids, and you help U.S. Chess grow the game. If you're already a member, consider clicking on the donate button at uschess.org. Our podcasts are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Thank you and good chess. Chess.